Thanks for joining us once again for another episode of the Overthinking Movies podcast. I'm your Overthinking host, Brandon Hain. I've got Overthinking co-host Alex Yulaki with me. And today we are covering, for the Halloween season, a Stephen King film. Honestly, I haven't seen many films specifically related to adaptations of his books. I've seen, of course, the newer stuff like It, but I've always been curious to delve back into other movies and other books that he's written and... Specifically for this month, I've decided to look at movies he's written and books he's written that are focusing on the classic kind of like universal monsters. So in this case, we're reviewing Silver Bullet, which is a werewolf film. And uh, coming up later in the month, I'm releasing an episode on Salem's Lot, which is his big vampire book. So let's first of all talk about Silver Bullet. So... Silver Bullet is based off of his book, Cycle of the Werewolf, which I have not read, but co-host Alex Ulaki has. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to give a quick basic review of how I felt about the movie, seeing it as somebody that hasn't read the book, and Alex is going to talk about it from the perspective of someone who has. So Silver Bullet came out in 1985, directed by Dan Atias, and written by Stephen King. This is a pretty remarkable film in the sense that King usually does not write his adaptations. So that was another really interesting point going into this. However, I will say that my expectations weren't high. The movie doesn't have terrible reviews, but it wasn't really received great at the time. And I'm surprised I hadn't heard of it before trying to do this episode. Because, of course, you know, I know the big werewolf films. I know American Werewolf in London and The Howling and a lot of the big ones that really were great effects show pieces and really good films in their own rights. And I can say that, despite going in and being a little unsure about it at first, I would say that I actually, I like Silver Bullet. I don't I don't think it's great. <laughs> I think it has a lot of problems. But I think the lead actors give some pretty good performances. I like the brother and sister relationship. I, I like how they portray this family dynamic of the brother is physically disabled and and the sister feels like she has to constantly take care of him and the family is all centered around the brother, but at the same time, she does truly love him. And there's that interesting dynamic going on there. I like how that was all portrayed. I like, the, I like their goofy uncle played by Gary Busey. And I like how he, realistically is not on board with their whole plan of trying to uh, destroy this world it comes to the point where when he finally does believe i feel like it does make the most sense that because obviously he, he gets the definitive proof but it, it takes until like the end of the movie but i would say that my issues with silver bullet are it feels like this movie was really cut up it feels like there's a lot of really cool, interesting ideas in here and a lot of things that are set up but don't have a lot of payoff to them or weren't really expanded upon as much as they wanted to. Like, they go into that whole frustrated sister and brother relationship, but I don't think it it fully had a interesting payoff or they or they could have done more with it i feel like gary Busey has like an alcohol ad addiction that they mention he's an he's an alcoholic and there's a moment in the movie where you see him choosing his family over the alcohol but it's a very subtle moment and i felt like there maybe could have been more in terms of delving into his character flaws and why the mother his sister has such issues with him and of course i'm saying all this without talking about the werewolf itself and the werewolf in this film is really interesting design-wise. It's, in some ways, it's similar to the kind of stuff you'd expect, but it's very bulky looking, and the suit isn't that bad, but I will say that a lot of the effects are pretty not great, even by today's standards. Like, you have, like, 
The movie opens literally with a dude getting his head knocked off and it looks ridiculous. But then you have moments later on in the film with little moments of violence and close-up shots of the werewolf that I actually don't think look that bad. And when you have a scene near the end where the werewolf is turning back into a human, I actually think all of that looks pretty good for the most part. Like, it, it's very inconsistent with the effects. Some of them are great, some of them are not so great. I feel like if you're a werewolf fan, obviously, you're coming to this movie looking for how the werewolf looks. And... It's not great, but there's definitely an effort here. The suit doesn't look bad, and there are moments you will like, particularly a scene in a church that we'll get to talking about later. But I'd say if, if you're looking for like the definitive werewolf movie, you're not going to find it here. But Silver Bullet, I can see why it became a cult film, because it is fairly entertaining. I was engaged throughout, and while I don't find this film scary at all, like the way it's directed. Sometimes it feels downright comedic with some of the werewolf scenes, which I know they were meant to be horror, but I never really got that out of it. A lot of it feels almost like a dark comedy at times. But I feel like if you just want a simple, fun movie taking place in a small town as they try to scout out who this werewolf is, I would say that I enjoyed it. I would probably recommend it. It's just not a high recommendation because, like I said, it it has a lot of issues. Alex, as someone who read the book, how did you take to this? Fairly similarly to you there, I think if you're looking for a good werewolf movie, especially from that time period, this isn't necessarily something you need to see but if you're just looking for a good small town horror Stephen King-esque movie in a lot of ways it does add to the book as you mentioned it's one of Stephen King's shortest works uh, one of his shortest novellas the book itself the version I have is 128 pages and a lot of that is buffed up with uh, illustrations in this copy actually of Cycle of the Werewolf it was very interesting knowing that Stephen King both wrote the the script as well as the initial book for this, because there are some major differences. Obviously, like the, the core characters and themes, we do get a lot of, but the very structure of it, like he had to make some changes for this to work as a movie because Cycle of the Werewolf is pretty much just the story of the town where we meet the characters little by little, and the, it takes place throughout a uh, calendar year. So, though, you know, we do get Marty and his uncle and his family in the book we actually I feel like not, not necessarily that he developed them more in the movie but just in the nature of a movie you kind of need more central main character protagonists you can't jump around as much so I feel like I actually got to spend more time with them in the movie and I definitely liked the the relationship uh on screen I know you were saying you wanted to see a little bit more with the sister and the brother the uncle and his problems and dealings like that but uh, I was pretty satisfied in terms of that as someone having read the book um a lot of the relationships between the characters here just seeing them get to develop a little bit more as well as interestingly enough Stephen King uh taking out some of the characters that he had set up and replacing them with other or similar ones or even editing his own sequences sometimes okay so we're talking about the werewolves I think that though the werewolf very accurately portrays what he was going for just in terms of design, having the illustrated book, the tailless big gray werewolf with glowing eyes in the movie is exactly the same things that I see throughout the book. But just a lot of the that portion of the movie, I think, is what held it back a lot. Some of the attacks and 
not the design, but just their ability to work with it. At times, like, especially towards the beginning, it seems stiff to me. And like you said, some of the effects aren't great. Where I already had some of the stuff in my head from the book, it's like, uh, I wish it could move a little bit better. Though again, throughout the movie, I would say some of that's improved, but especially that opening at the train tracks, this had me a little bit disappointed, because the opening of the book, I feel like, is almost the ultimate werewolf attack. It does take place with a lone railroadman, but rather than actually being on a train and just getting his head batted off, it, like, has him going into this shack in January with dense snow come again, and he, you know, starts to hear something outside, and it beats into his door, emitting in lots of snow, beats in again and he like tries to arm himself but it just like breaks into the shack and goes at him which was a lot more interesting than just a guy suddenly getting his head beaten off with a silly looking effect like that but despite the opener for me not living up to the book it was interesting because like I said it does differ than the book and we get some very interesting sequences that even if at times still look a bit stiff I did think were executed pretty well like that whole thing where the werewolf is attacking inside of the greenhouse and it's like underneath of the floorboards and jumps up with the plants and everything like that whole thing was just taking place of a different attack in the book and I thought that was actually pretty well executed other than the occasional stiffness of the creature. Though the other main difference here, like I said, some things work much better in the book, some things are different in the movie and the book and just work fine being different in either case, and then some things like are in the movie that are not in the book, like that particular scene I just described, and most notably, even the relationship between the man who had become the wolf and the wolf itself. In the, the book, it takes him a while to become aware that he's actually the person who has become a werewolf, and it goes into how he sort of doesn't even know his own origin. We don't get that at all here, and eventually he does try to protect himself once our protagonist figures out that it's him and starts writing him letters. So in the book, basically this happens towards the end and it sets up for a more well-executed and coherent climax. It's the same climax, it's just better executed, but what we miss that the movie has that I actually really liked is our antagonist, the town's priest, trying to silence the boy before he even turns into a werewolf. He, you know, like at the end he sets up himself as a werewolf to attack the kid, but we get a whole car chase sequence here where this priest is chasing down the boy on the road trying to like run him off while he's on his jet propelled silver bullet wheelchair which also the, the jet propelled wheelchair is a, a new concept to the movie as well that Stephen King added which wraps the title around which is kind of interesting kind of cool and yeah just that whole sequence just the idea of this this priest showing up to this baseball field and watching these kids is really uncomfortable and just like seeing Marty and knowing about it like th that whole sequence there I think is something wonderful and really unsettling that the movie offers that is is not in the book so it's not a movie I can highly recommend I can recommend the book but it has differences despite using the same characters it, and telling the same story it, it does have a lot of things to add into it and that dark comedy I think I found more of that in the movie too and I liked a good bit of that you were saying that it felt kind of out of place like dark comedy but to me it didn't feel out of place and I just really enjoyed a lot of that like the idea of these guys going into the woods and hunting for the werewolf and then the one guy going at him with a bat but then the werewolf steals the bat and starts hitting guy with it it's the only movie i can think of where you get to watch a werewolf beat people with a bat <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> 
And that happens twice because remember, there's a second attack later on where the werewolf yeah. once again uses the bat again. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> that was delightful. Well, I mean, and then you have, like, that same sequence in the wood, Alex, where the guy gets his leg trapped in the bear trap, and, it, and it's pretty bloody and, and uh, messed up looking, and the guy tries to open up the bear trap, but then he hears the other people right. searching in the woods, and he hears something crack nearby, and he accidentally lets go of the bear trap, and it falls on the guy's foot again. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and I know it's it's probably supposed to be comedy, but just like, jeez. Yeah, that, that, I admit, that did get me laughing, too, but the whole bear trap thing, I didn't really like. That was in, in the book and it really but that's not my issue with it there's a scene where a bunch of people go into the woods though it takes place later on i don't i don't mind moving that earlier into the story but the bear trap in particular it served no purpose to the story at all except to just add a little bit more uncomfortable violence to it with that violence too like i was watching that with my wife last night and i was saying that i personally think that this might have in some ways done better without the intense violence if they could have like gone for a pg-13 rating because the violence at times doesn't look that great anyway and just centering everything around this this kid i feel like you really could have done better with a pg-13 rating for this granted back when this was released in 86 i know we had that rating by then but i i think it had only been around for a few years maybe they wouldn't have even thought to do that or maybe stephen king couldn't stomach the idea of not having enough stomach churning blood into one of his films i don't know but just like the whole tone of the movie i personally felt it didn't necessarily need the intense violence right i mean it just feels like, in general, there were times where I wasn't 100% sure if this was supposed to be dark comedy or if I'm just laughing at something that I'm not supposed to be laughing at. Like, for example, right after that scene happens where the guys are looking through the woods for the werewolf and the werewolf then, you know, kills a bunch of them. You know, you have all that happen and you have the werewolf beating that guy with a bat to death and then it cuts. It hard cuts to the church and now there's like a bunch of coffins all throughout the church which you know <laughs> yeah. the reason why this is this was unintentionally funny is because earlier in the movie we have a scene where a kid the main character's best friend brady is killed by the werewolf and it cuts to the church and you know they're having this very somber funeral for this child that died and then when all these people in the woods die then hard cuts and it's the same exact establishing shot of the inside of the church but now there's like a whole bunch of coffins in there i just bust out laughing just because of how sudden it was right after a shot of a werewolf hitting someone with a bat comedically so it's just, and then that leads to, I mean, in some ways, I almost feel like one of the scenes the movie was made for, because the whole scene of all the coffins in the church, like, yes, on some level, it's supposed to portray that, oh, yes, you know, they're, they're celebrating these people, but it's not real. It's actually a dream sequence the priest is having where all of a sudden everybody in the church that are watching the funeral proceedings all become werewolves. And then he wakes up in a cold sweat. And the thing is, Alex, I didn't actually even predict that it was going to be the priest. Okay, good, because, you know, obviously having just read it, I was aware of that, so at the beginning, it's, I'm pretty picking up to when he's, like, trying to encourage the people, oh, don't go out looking for the beast, you know, it's something a priest might do, like, because, you know, maybe violent mobs are not the answer, but, like, yeah, you know, I don't want everybody in the whole town ganging up at me at once, not that it, uh, proved to be that relevant. And I think on some level what they were trying to do, Alex, was you were talking about how in the book the priest doesn't even know he is a werewolf at first. He's, he slowly uncovers it over time. And then in the book, is it also like in the movie where he becomes more beast-like even when he's a human? Um, 
not necessarily beast-like, but a lot of that false justification, like, I've been chosen for this and it is God's will that I must do this at night. I don't necessarily understand his plan, but I will not argue against it if I go out and attack like this. Which, again, like, I really like the the extra depth of him going after the kid in his human form. First, I wasn't sure what to think of that. Though, I guess it also made more sense there, too, because in the movie... He's, it seems like almost inarguable that he has an awareness to a good degree of what he's doing as a wolf at night, hinted at by how quickly he recognizes Marty after sniffing him out the one night. As a werewolf, he sees him in the baseball field and he knows that it was him who, who wrote the letter. And then, you know, at the end of the movie, he cuts the power, which is not something a mindless beast does it seems like something he would be doing because he wants to torment them further for having discovered his secret and really teach them a lesson and and the fact that he's also taking the bat back to his place uh suggests that he's trying to cover up his own thing i guess i don't don't really know why he would have done that because if he just left it there it wouldn't have been incriminating evidence unless he just liked carrying it around because this werewolf likes beating people with bats so much and they imply that when the full moon is out, like, the story of the book was called Cycle of the Werewolf, and in the movie it's talked about, like, depending on what state the moon is in each night, that affects the transformation, and it seems like what they're trying to say is that when the moon is totally full, that's when they're at their most, you know, aggressive and beast-like. So, like, cutting the power to me almost wouldn't make sense in that case if he's full-on a monster, but you said maybe that's what they're trying to go for is that he he becomes more aware, and so that way when he becomes the wolf, he he still has some of that awareness left. It's strange. Like, there's a lot of it that I don't think was 100% thought out. No. And when I was talking, Alex, about, like, the brother and the sister and the main characters and all that, like them not being fleshed out as much. They imply here and they have little shots where you see the main character, Marty, who is in a wheelchair. He has envy for people and some jealousy of people that don't have his disability because you have multiple scenes in this movie where they're like zooming in on people's legs and then cutting to like a close up of Marty looking at them with kind of disdain. Yeah, I like and that. And I, I thought Marty was going to be the werewolf. I thought that's why they were setting that oh, up. Oh, interesting. That he, I mean, he maybe he doesn't even realize it himself, but that disdain comes out in the beast. The beast that comes after the people that Marty feeling some sort of aggression towards. Maybe not even just over his, his disability, but also just people that, like, you know, the father of his uh, gal pal at school is killed. And I thought that's because, oh, he saw that that guy seems like a bad person. So he turned into the wolf to kill that guy because he saw the way that he probably was abusive towards his gal pal. And that's why I thought they were showing all of that stuff of like, him having resentment towards people that have legs. Like, I thought that was building towards something, but it kind of just felt like it was there hmm. just because, you know, as, as someone that is in his situation, he kind of just has that, you know, has that resentment because of just right. the way he has to live his life. But I thought, like, there was more to it than that, that they were building to something, but it was just kind of an aspect of his character. Yeah, I I definitely like that sequence. We don't get as much of that exactly in the book, but I think it adds to the finale. Because again, in here, it's more of like a mixed effort between him and his sister and his uncle during the climax, though... I mean, really, he's still the one who's, who stops the thing. He, like, drops the bullet, but then he picks it back up while his uncle's fighting it off and shoots it right in its other eye. Whereas in the book, 
the werewolf burst in without first revealing itself by cutting the power to obviously show off that, well, you better expect me now. And his uncle, like, is dumbfounded not expecting there to be an actual werewolf. So after the thing breaks in, Marty just takes a cool breath, puts his gun up and shoots it and takes care of it all on his own before his uncle can even react. And it just, like, to me was kind of a theme of despite having the disability and being a young kid, two things that, you know, especially in the 1970s, people might not be able to take seriously. Some of that, like, helped him have a calm and childlike attitude that in some ways would help him be able to perform this incredible task that, like, all these people who went out into the woods in the movie weren't able to do. So I I liked him seeing, having that envy for, like, other people can do this thing that I can't, and, like, look at what they can do. But despite that, he ends up, even still in here, though, it's not as solely dedicated to him being somebody who's able to perform this task that nobody else could do. So I kind of just like how that plays into that a little bit. Right. The other parts of the movie that made me think that it was building up that Marty was going to turn out to be the werewolf. I mean, obviously it kind of changes it immediately for me when it's revealed that Marty discovers the werewolf in the woods and he actually has to fight the thing by, you know, shooting that firework into its eye. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Because then when the, the sister's out, you know, sort of looking for the guy that has the eye taken out, I thought they were going to go for something like when the person turns back from the werewolf, it, it would heal their injuries. So they wouldn't even have the eye problem. But here, no, like whatever injury the, the human sustains or the werewolf sustains still carries over no matter what form they're in, which I thought was an interesting choice. Because usually with transformations, the injuries aren't carried over. There's some sort of healing process in between. Usually to some extent, but I think it was the movie and not the book where there was this line. But I think they still say something about like, despite like having blown out his eye, if that were a real person in a mask and not just a werewolf, he would have had a lot more injuries than just having an eye that didn't heal back like it would have messed him up a lot more probably so i like that little addition because i mean he did get like a firework at close range like in the movie especially it's like on a stick too and it goes in there a good little bit it would go through a lot of tissue and maybe even like a bit of brain if you were a normal person that you probably aren't just walking away from that yeah I mean, I, I did like the final sequence in general. I really did like Busey doing his best to protect the kids. And you really feel like you don't want him to die. You really like that character. And yeah. you're with him throughout the whole sequence. And then they drop the bullet and the bullet falls into that crate that looks like it's going to go into the basement. You're like, oh, no. And like, I felt like the tension was really well done. And then when they finally were able to blow the werewolf away, that it all sort of made sense. And despite the fact that I feel kind of back and forth about the special effects in this movie, like I said earlier, I as well. when they do kill the werewolf, when they kill the werewolf and it turns back a lot of those shots of it reverting back to the priest actually looked pretty good a lot of the close-ups especially yeah it's just a like a a mixture of not good effects and then pretty good effects it's not a lot of necessarily more middling ones yes like the guy him knocking the guy's head off at the beginning yeah looks terrible (laughs) it looks laughable i i I don't know how that was supposed to be in any way terrifying Uh, We kind of glossed over it, but uh, is the scene where there's a million people inside the church turning into werewolves, is that in the book at all, or is that something the movie made No, yeah, yeah. That's honestly, like, between the fireworks in the middle and that scene, those are some of the core chapters in the book that stick out to me a lot, really. Does it also end with the guy waking up and revealing who the werewolf is? Yep, that's, yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, it ends with him waking up, but it still doesn't 
show it doesn't imply yet that though this was reverend lowe's dream that we know it's him or that he even knows that it was him himself that's actually one of two events that lead to him kind of realizing that this thing that's been happening in town is it's me it's because of me okay because looking back on that dream sequence when i was later in the movie i was like oh yeah no that obviously that would then be the werewolf because that's it's similar to like american werewolf in london like when david is cursed he starts having really awful dreams and hallucinations related to werewolves so that's i guess another part of the lore that i guess sticks that that kind of always being haunted by the beast right but the church scene in general was one of the best werewolf moments in the entire movie just like definitely agreed well, because you would expect it to be underwhelming because they would have to do so much makeup to make all of these different people look good turning into these werewolves throughout this entire church. But honestly, it looks pretty good. Yeah. They, I mean, obviously they, they make some of the lesser makeup effects. They kind of keep those people in the back, but the stuff in front of you, like it's all pretty decent looking. Like obviously by today's standards, you can, you can see the makeup and some of the issues with it, but on its own, I was really impressed by how they did that whole sequence. It was part of what made the whole experience of watching the movie worth it on top of, you know, the main characters being pretty likable. I totally agree. The effects in there are pretty good. You can tell mostly that they're masks, but at the same time, though you could have had something that was done in computer animation by today's standards, I don't think it was really necessary, so my brain is telling me that these are still real people in front of me. I can tell the difference. And just like all the different cuts that they do work really well so they're not trying to do overly special effects at once because we're just seeing like this guy in the middle of his transformation for like three seconds and it's moving on to the next and you get a lot of cool stuff, a lot of creepy stuff and <laughs> some fun stuff like the organ pipe player there still being like transforming into a werewolf and still playing the pipes was one of the yes! little dark comedy bits that I really liked. That was, that was really funny. Yes, I loved that. Yeah, the old, the old lady that plays the pipe organ at the church turns into a werewolf and is still playing the pipe organ. <laughs> it's, it's great. Um, yeah, that's one of the main scenes to definitely uh, see the movie for. And I guess uh, the last thing I did want to touch on is just our main cast. Corey Haim let me, as Marty. Before we do that, let me, uh, let me ask you one more question. Uh, the, the title of this movie is Silver Bullet, and that's the name of the rocket-propelled wheelchair that the boy is in. Now, in the book, he does have a mechanical wheelchair but he does not have a, like a jet propelled one. A lot of the point of adding this into the movie, um, I think Stephen King realized when he gets the fireworks in the book, he just does this in the backyard and maybe he wouldn't think that's a good plan if you don't want your mom to find out about it because, you know, she would probably hear as soon as you lit one off. So this gets him into the woods for his werewolf encounter. And that's, I think, the whole reason that he does this there. Now, I just want to know if you think that the idea of a, like a jet propelled rocket wheelchair motorcycle thing is a little bit silly to you or if you thought that was really cool or if you have any uh questions on that especially is that kind of is the title of the movie silver bullet uh i just thought it was like a motif thing because it is silver and it is going fast so he is like oh yeah that would make sense and it's a kind of a clever little tie into the movie is a <laughs> jeff repelled wheelchair kind of a goofy concept yes but it doesn't matter if it's silly in my opinion because the execution is what makes it work mm -hmm. how it builds the character relationships and how it's then used for that fun sequence of him riding on the road but then they also use it later again for that awesome car chase sequence yeah it really is tied into the movie well and whatever you feel about its design or how silly it looks i feel like it works because they use it in ways that benefit the overall story yeah well said 
if anything, I wish they could have used it into the actual finale a bit here, maybe. But they would have had to change up a lot of things about that. But yeah, yeah, well spoken. But how stiff the werewolf is, Alex. I don't know if they could have made the werewolf ch- chase the little chair. Yeah, that is true. Because <laughs> most of the time, this werewolf, he, he's walking on two legs. He's less of like the, the typical four-legged beasts they usually get in other versions. Yeah, they, they portray that pretty well. Again, though, it, we don't really get a sense that it can move fast from most of the shots. They do well and having it on two legs, but they often describe it as really hunched over, its claws almost dragging on the ground, but clearly not walking on them. So yeah, they got that concept done. Yeah, there was a lot of back and forth behind the scenes between Stephen King and the director and and Martha De Laurentiis, uh, Dino De Laurentiis' wife who produced this movie, where they wanted the werewolf to look one way, because they felt like what King pitched to them was underwhelming that this whole design and when they finally saw the costume they were like they felt like it wasn't unique enough it wasn't dynamic enough it looked kind of bland and they wanted something more interesting for the werewolf but king fought and the director agreed with king and the two of them fought for that design and eventually uh dino and his wife they relented and they let them keep the design they went with and uh, yeah i think that worked out fine in the end i mean despite the flaws and the special effects i think that when you actually just get the suit itself when he's fully transformed a lot of that looks pretty good especially like the close-ups of the eyes now so i wanted to finally touch on just like the the main characters themselves and why i think they're they're another reason why this movie ends up working so well i mean obviously i talked about why why the relationship between the brother and the sister the way that she kind of on some level resents him because the family is all like focused around the brother and seems to favorite him but she also still loves him but you also see a lot of the the sensitivity and sympathy that comes from Marty to his sister that makes him also such a likable character. You have his really awful friend, Brady, who the kid seems to serve no purpose in the movie besides being kind of a jerk and then dying. (laughs) Yeah. But when we... Yeah, when we first introduce Brady, he plays a prank on the sister, and it's a really mean prank. He throws a garter snake on her, and she falls into mud. Marty's telling him to knock it off, but he's not really doing anything to help the situation, but I guess really what could he do? And so, naturally, you get scenes later on with the sisters really mad at him, and she's being kind of, you know, unreasonable, but you also understand, because especially at that age, like, she just doesn't like the way she was treated. But then it's not just like Marty apologizes and we're supposed to just think, yeah, okay, so he gave the apology, so she should apologize now. No, Marty goes to the lengths of later that night, it's still bothering him. So he opens up the door to her room, asks if she's awake, and then he puts money on her table as a way of trying to make up to, hey, I'll pay for, you know, replacing the clothes that, you know, you got dirty during that whole mess and she's like no that's a- and look I'll just take this much and it's like it's this really genuine yeah. moment where he's like oh no he actually is like a really nice guy and you really feel for Marty throughout the film and you do want to follow him and, and then that's built on upon by also not just having the sister be cool but also having his uncle and the uncle is a flawed character but he's flawed in interesting ways he's he's an alcoholic and he has he clearly has a lot of issues and he's kind of vulgar and the mother kind of takes issue with a lot of his behavior because you can tell she she loves her brother but she also you know doesn't like his alcoholism but at the same time I also really like the moments where the uncle is talking to the mother and the mother is speaking 
on Marty from the perspective of, you know, pitying him because of his disability. And the uncle sees him in a completely different light. He sees that his life needs to stop being focused around his his disability and be more focused around him as a person. That there's, there's more to this guy than simply being this. And he feels like the family does too much to build his identity around his disability instead of who he is as a person and his own individual talents. And I was surprised hearing that characterization come out of this uncle character, but it made me like that character much more and like there's there's a lot of stuff like that where he's a very likable very reasonable kind of person where yeah he's kind of the the typical you know vulgar goofy uncle that has his own issues but he also really does truly love these kids and in a way that never really they do a good job balancing it where it never really comes off as creepy it comes off as just he's the nice uncle he's the nice uncle that watches them and when he, they're trying to explain the werewolf stuff to him and he doesn't believe it, like I said earlier, I feel like they did a really good job portraying it as in a realistic way where they're telling him a werewolf exists. And he's like, no, obviously werewolves don't exist, but he's still, you know, humoring the kids because he loves them and he wants to help them out. So that way, when it comes to the final climax where he does see the werewolf and he realizes it's all real, it's satisfying because... I feel like they realistically build up throughout the movie that it makes sense that he wouldn't believe as a person in a realistic world. And then when it happens, you're like, oh, okay, yes, this makes sense now. And then, you know, that makes you care even more to not have him die when the werewolf does actually attack him. Did you have any other further notes on how you felt about the main cast in general, Alex? Um, yeah, it was just good getting to see. I think most of them did very good jobs. You know, I could very much buy Marty's sincerity to his sister and sequences like that. They picked out good uh, kid actors for it. Like I said, they got to further expand upon these characters from the book. Though we do get to see them. We don't, like, see them every chapter. We, you know, see them in, like, maybe... A quarter of the chapters in the book really about that much and the final question i want to kind of ask here to you alex is that they in the movie they make a point of having a framing device where we're getting narration but it's narration of the sister uh years into the future where she's nostalgically reminiscing on the events of this particular summer is there any sort of framing device like that, or is that just something kind of made up by this movie? No, there's no device like that. The, the The book takes place as a calendar year, so the framing device is you get to see, like, one day a month each month, and there's no central narrator. I didn't like that here. It didn't really work to me because they didn't use it that frequently, and it didn't really, like, seem necessary because we don't really get that much narration that adds anything else we're not already seeing. I guess they just thought it would be a good device because like the the strange thing is like because they do that they have the narration take place in the present day and they have the thing take place in the past so the book was written in 1983 and takes place in 1984 um so it could be the full following calendar year the movie was made in uh i think 1985 or 1986 but it takes place in 1976 so that all just seemed kind of random to me with the, the that framing 
once again, when the sister is the framing device, like it's her in the future recounting all this information, it made me think Marty was the werewolf. <laughs> because I thought it was going to be like, oh, she's, you know, recounting this traumatic experience that happened to her. So it's revealed that her brother was actually the monster. But it's such a strange choice to make her the framing device because Marty is clearly the main character of the movie. Like the sister definitely has like moments of real character and she has the, a decent amount of screen time too. But Marty's the focus. He's the one you're following. He's the one you're really supposed to care about. The sister you, you care about too, but it just feels like a strange choice to make her the overall framing device. If I would have asked King any questions about his script, it probably would have just been why she, he made the sister the framing device for why the story is like set in the past and she's recounting on this information. Yeah, the same thing, because otherwise I thought generally it's written pretty well. There are some things that aren't necessarily tight in it compared to the book, though even the book has a few concepts that aren't too tightly wound. Mostly it was the, the effects that that I had a problem with, but that framing device I didn't like at all. Though I, that was interesting that it made you further think that Marty was the werewolf, so I guess in that sense I like it. Because <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to come to that conclusion. Right, because the werewolf is the same in the book as it is in the movie with it being the priest. Yeah, yeah. So... Overall, I would say that I would personally, it's not a high recommendation, but I would recommend Silver Bullet. It's a, I can see why it became a cult film. It's a really interesting movie. One of the only Stephen King adaptations that King himself wrote. And so you get a lot of that distinct sort of feel, especially in terms of the dialogue. And if you're like a werewolf fan, uh, there's definitely moments in here. It's not a lot, but there's definitely a lot of stuff in here that you may get out of seeing the creature's design and some of the transformations special effects, especially the scene in the church that we mentioned. Uh, but mostly it's for the characters. If you feel like you can get behind this cast with Gary Busey and, and Corey uh, Haim and uh, Everett McGill, like they're all pretty fun characters and they carry this story, this mystery of uncovering who the werewolf is uh, to a pretty fun degree. It's pretty short. It's only like a 90 minute film. So if you're interested in just another werewolf movie to check out, especially if you've already seen an American Werewolf in London and the howling and all the, the big ones, then Silver Bullet, I, feel is is definitely worth your time yeah it was like i said i don't highly recommend it either but especially if you just are a stephen king fan or th th that kind of small town horror vibe it's a, it's a good film it was a lot better a werewolf film than i thought it was going to be going into it having never really heard of it uh because i would think if it was i would think it would have had to have been not good for a werewolf movie from that time period to not be something talked about at all today really um though i guess it's because the effects obviously though well executed in certain portions certainly don't compare to the howling or to american werewolf in london Oh, no, certainly not. I mean, they have some of the cooler stuff from those movies, like the, you know, the faces pushing out or the, the claws growing out of the fingers. Oh, yeah, at times. Um, and some of that stuff did look pretty decent. Yeah, like we said, there are moments, but it's not the majority of the movie. A lot of the f effects are either laughable or kind of silly, or it's it's a case where a lot of the movie feels almost like a parody of some of Stephen King's stories, just because of how silly it gets with the werewolf beating people with bats, <laughs> or knocking people's heads off. But um, there's still stuff definitely to be had for werewolf fans. And uh, 
yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, thanks, thanks for going to the trouble of reading the the book, Alex. I know it's not very long, but it definitely added some extra context to how King adapted. Oh yeah, this. and it's just fascinating to see somebody adapt his own work into a different medium too. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested to see what other films uh, King has written and kind of compare them. Of course, we know about Creepshow, the horror anthology film, but I'd be curious to see some of his other written adaptations. And on that note, that's going to wrap it up here. As I said, later this month, I'm going to be uh, covering the different adaptations of Salem's Lot, another small town uh, horror story that this time is about vampires. So how will that compare? Well, it's directed by Mr. Toby Hooper, the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and would later, a couple years later, after Salem's Lot, go on to do Poltergeist. So I have some pretty good feelings going into that one, but we'll have to see how it goes. So as always, thank you for joining me, Alex. It was a howling good time. And thank you for listening, as always. If you have suggestions for movies or movie topics or just general feedback for the podcast, you can send that all to overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com. And for more episodes of Overthinking Movies, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most apps you can find podcasts on. You can also find us on goldhitswkva.com, star967.com, and wchx1055.com by clicking on the podcast tab at the top. The script for Salem's Lot is taking a bit longer than I had anticipated. After listening to the 17-hour-long audiobook, then watching the three-hour miniseries, then watching the newer three-hour miniseries, there's a lot to comb over, so I'm not sure if it's gonna hit October, but I'm gonna see if I can try. Anyway, it's not like there's any Thanksgiving movies for me to cover anyway. What, do you want me to talk about Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving 3? <laughs> I mean, I will if you're interested. Send me an email at overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com. That said, I better get back to work. That's a wrap.